So I know something about you because I know it about myself. It's not something that uh, I'm proud of, but I know that almost every day you take the Lord's goodness for granted. Am I wrong? If I'm wrong, tell me. If I'm wrong, tell me I'm wrong. And you, you're dismissed. You can, go, you can go have a Twinkie somewhere because you're a very good person. Better than the rest of us. I mean, if you just start with um, the good gift of your physical body, and I could talk about this for a long time, but when was the last time you thanked God for the software that runs your body? The 3.5 billion characters of DNA in every one of your 40 to 100 trillion cells. I mean, this is the level to which I like to try to go. <laughs> And, and, then, and then come up from there. And of course, you get lost pretty fast. You, you cannot enumerate God's goodness. I was thinking, I think we have a new uh, young woman in uh, young adults that uh, I think is a neurologist or studying neurology or something. And I was thinking about the 100 trillion to 1,000 trillion synapses in the brain. When was the last time you thanked God for that? You know, so... Your body could function so you could think and hope and dream and love and care and know your God. <laughs> I mean, see what I'm saying? I'm trying to get down, I'm trying to get down to the basics. I, I was reading um, a scientist recently, and he was saying the five senses are the greatest wonder in the world. When was the last time you thought about that? We just take it all for granted. You know, there's this astonishing cascade of complexity just so I can see you and you can see me. One scientist said that um, it would take 100 years of computer time to simulate what the eye does in a second. 100 years of supercomputer time. Let me get it right. 100 years of supercomputer time to simulate what takes place in your eye many times a second. And all, and all I want to say is, some of you haven't thanked God all week for this bounty of goodness. And I'm just, I haven't even scratched the surface of your physical body. I'm not even talking about the environment He's given you to live in. I'm not, I haven't even touched on that, right? When was the last time, and this is for them all, when was the last time you thanked God for the mass differential between neutrons and protons? When was the last time you thanked God for that? Because if that's not right, you're not here. My point is, I'm just trying to make the point. If you're not a thankful person, you're not thinking. You're not informed and you're not thinking. If all you can do is complain about the three things in your life that aren't perfect, you've got a huge problem if you call yourself a Christian. This is a huge problem. We are called to be a thankful people. It makes sense that the one who is fearfully and wonderfully made would never cease to give thanks to the one who made them fearfully and wonderfully. So why are we prone to take God's goodness for granted? 
Why are we prone to do it? One theologian hit right on the hit the nail right on the head. Why are we prone to do it? You know why? I just be, you know, my introduction should help you understand why because it is so pervasive. It is so ubiquitous. It's omnipresent. God's goodness is omnipresent. You cannot wake up in the morning and not bump into his goodness. If you wake up, you've already bumped into it, right? We don't see it anymore because it's so ubiquitous. It's like the Swiss. How many of you have been to Interlaken? They don't see it anymore. They don't see it. They don't see it. It's like you and me. We don't see it, although it is there. But don't you love those moments, those beautiful moments, when God blows away the dullness of your spirit, the scales come off your eyes, the hardness of heart, and that relentless absorption, you know, self-absorption that we all deal with on a daily basis, and we see Him and we see His goodness. I love those moments. You know, you know how that happens with me and for me? It's when I'm doing this. That's why I'm in this. And we're going to talk more about that tonight as we go through the text. You know, when you have that, that odd awe moment. <laughs> right? The odd awe moment. If you're not having those moments, you're not thinking, you're not looking around, you're not being thankful, you're taking everything for granted. This is the worst thing we can do before God. Is to take His goodness for granted. You guys know why. God will judge man. There are many reasons, but He enumerates a couple there in Romans chapter 1. Because they did not honor Him nor give thanks. It's a big deal. Thankfulness. It's a big Deal. And yes, while we are only seeing in a mirror dimly, sometimes we catch a glimpse and sometimes we feel the weight and we feel the scope of God's beauty and God's goodness. And this is what Jesus is talking about to us tonight. He uses the, the same verb three times. I will disclose to you. The Holy Spirit will disclose to you. It's a beautiful, beautiful text. We're like the, the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We need, you know, when we, when we actually see it and feel it, we need those words that men are not permitted to speak. <laughs> As Paul talks about it. It's why I'm a preacher, man. I'm, I, uh, I just can't get over the awe. I can't get over it. I love what Isaiah, how Isaiah exhorted the Old Testament Jews in Isaiah 40, verse 9. He says, Behold your God. This is what Jesus is talking about tonight. The Holy Spirit's coming so you can behold your God. Not some false caricature, not some parody, some religious parody, but the living God. The Creator God. The eternal God. The infinite God. The omnipotent God. Behold that God. Right? Behold that God. That's the God we're always talking about. 
in Scripture and the Holy Spirit. Part of His work is simply to disclose this reality to us. We talked a little bit about it last week. That's the core of the message tonight. Jesus says God is intent on disclosing Himself to His people. There's a, there's a great quote, and I've shared it with you many times, from that 18th century American theologian, uh, Jonathan Edwards. And I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, in creation, God is manifesting His glory to, the, to, to all of His in, intelligent creatures. All intellectual creatures, all moral uh, intelligent creatures can see the manifested glory of God. But in redemption, God's doing something bigger. In redemption, what's God doing? It's not just revealing glory. What is it? This is an amazing thing. <laughs> He's communicating glory. He means for you to taste it and understand it. Not in its fullness by any stretch of the imagination. After a billion eternities, you still won't comprehend all the glory of God in all of its fullness. But to taste it and to savor it and to love it and to delight in it. This is the theology of the text. In his book, God is the Gospel, yes, it's a book by John Piper, my favorite American preacher and uh, author. He asks a very important question I'm going to ask you, okay? And he says this, every professing Christian should be required to answer this question. So, this is kind of a big deal. And I want you to think about it. Why is it good news to you that your sins are forgiven? Why is it good news to you that your sins are forgiven? Now, you would most commonly hear answers like this, I don't want to go to hell. You might hear the, the opposite. I, I want to go to heaven. You might hear that I need forgiveness for my guilty conscience. You might hear that I want God on my side. I want the blessing of God in my life. I want the, the favor and blessing of God. And Piper makes a powerful point in this book. He says all of those answers are horribly wrong. They're not just wrong. They're egregiously wrong. You know why? It's, it's the same reason I tell you all the time. <laughs> because that makes the Gospel about you. It's not about you. It's about the glory of God. It's about the glory of Christ. And that's what we will see tonight. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight. We're going to try to answer John Piper's question. Why is it good news to you that your sins are forgiven? In a biblical way. In a God-honoring way. A God-centered way. Not making the Gospel all about me. Because, beloved, if you still think that way, you have not understood the full gift of God in coming to save us. So the context, let's get the context. We've got a few new folks in here. We are in John 16. It's Christ's 
discourse, his farewell discourse to his 11 guys. Judas is on his way to betray Jesus. Jesus is hours away from the cross. We saw last week that this is a a traumatic event. Uh, Jesus has been saying some hard things to these guys and it couldn't get any worse in their minds. It could not get any worse than Jesus is leaving us. These guys have left everything to follow Him and He's leaving us. It couldn't get any worse. It's like we talked about last week. That's how you feel sometimes, right? That's how you feel in your life sometimes. But what did Jesus say to him last week, man? Wasn't it powerful? Wasn't it powerful? What, what did He say to him last week? It's to your advantage that I go. Right? It's to your advantage that I go. And, and, and we just made the point. I'm not going to belabor it, but we made the point. When something hard is going on in your life, something calamitous, something traumatic, and you don't understand it, it's okay if you don't understand it. You just need to believe God and trust God in it. God, listen, it's for your advantage. <laughs> okay? It's for your advantage. Romans 8.28 is never... It is never not true. So, He says, by going away, obviously, He will save their souls. Yeah, that's an advantage. By going away, He will send the Spirit who will indwell them and empower them and inform them. Yeah, that's an advantage. But He has to go away for these things to happen last week. Jesus told us that the Holy Spirit will come to convict men of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God is staging an intervention in the lives of His people. Let me just say this. Disclosing to us that we are sinners... This is the work of the Holy Spirit. If you know you're a sinner, the work of the Holy Spirit is, is, is alive and well in you. You know you're a sinner. You're not a religious person that impresses God. You know better than that. You know you're a sinner. You're a guilty sinner. And you need a Savior. This is what the, the Spirit of God teaches us. I'm not a, you know, God-accepted religious man with my chest out. I know who I am. The Holy Spirit's taught me who I am. I'm a sinner. The Holy Spirit has taught us that God is righteous and we're not. We're not. The Holy Spirit has taught us about the righteousness of God. Yeah, that's an advantage. I need a Savior. He's taught me that. The Holy Spirit has taught me that God's judgment is real and it is coming. Yes, it's to my advantage to know that is true. And the Holy Spirit has taught me this. He intervenes in our lives to get us off sin. That's an advantage. That He might get us to God. Yeah, that's an advantage. Listen, don't ever doubt. If you're a Christian, if you're real, I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm talking about I know Him, I love Him. When it, even when you can't cry anymore, don't doubt that what God is doing, somehow He will work to your advantage. Again, as I said last week, it's not always about understanding. In fact, it's often not about understanding. It's about believing and trusting. So, verse 12, I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them. I love this verse. It's like one of those verses that, at least in my mind, this is how I hear it. It, It's sort of a tantalizing verse. Jesus has already told them the worst. He's already told them they're going to kill Him. 
The eleven are going to abandon him. The people are going to hate them and persecute the disciples. They have an adversary in Satan, and men would kill them thinking they were serving God. I'm not sure how it could get any worse. He's already told them the worst. This is about the best. <laughs> Verse uh, 12 is about the best. Jesus is saying, hey, there's a lot of stuff I just can't tell you yet. You're not, you're not ready to hear it. It'll blow up your head. Okay? It'll blow up your heart. You can't hear what I'm going to say to you about all that God has prepared for you until the Spirit comes. This is what God is saying. I can't share all the, the greatness and glory and goodness that God has in store, the inheritance He's prepared. I can't begin to talk about it. You can't hear it. You can't hear it yet. You're going to need the Spirit of God. You're going to need the Spirit of God to hear it. Three times in the Gospels, Jesus told His guys, you've been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Colossians 2.2, Paul writes that believers are to have a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ Jesus. Ephesians 3.20, Paul writes that believers are to be filled up to all the fullness of God. So what is all this mystery of the kingdom about? And what does it mean to be filled up to all the fullness of God? Nobody knows what this means. No, no uh, theologian or scholar has teased this out or parsed this. This is so big. It's so huge. You can't bear to hear it. <laughs> how does, uh, how does uh, Paul say it in, in 1 Corinthians? Eye has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love Him. It's my take on this text. Jesus is saying there's so much good stuff but it'll blow your head up and it'll blow your heart up if I try to tell you now. If you don't know, <laughs> if you don't know that God's disclosure, uh, could possibly have that effect on you. I, I think you're thinking too small. I think your God's too small. If you don't have some sense that what He has to say to me and what He has to give me it's so far beyond what I could ever imagine. I think you have a low view of God in your head. So are you hearing the answer to John Piper's question, why is it good news to you that your sins are forgiven? You remember Moses in Exodus 33. Anybody remember prayer, uh, Moses' prayer there? God, show me your glory. And what did God say? Your head will blow up. You can't see me. You can't see my face and live. I'm paraphrasing. He said, I'll, I'll let you see the backside of my glory. And of course, the beautiful thing about that account there is Moses doesn't write one word about what he saw. And I love that Moses doesn't write one word about what he saw because he cannot. He cannot bear to write it. Human language is not sufficient to write it. So he doesn't write it. He doesn't write anything. He can't. How do you, how do you write... How do you, 
How do you describe infinite beauty? How do you do, how do, you do it? You can't do it. It was incommunicable, as C.S. Lewis might say. Makes me think of the four living creatures in Revelation 4. You remember these guys? I reference them on occasion. Uh, full of eyes all around and within. My seminary professor says it's the eternal gasp. These guys have been looking at God ever since the moment He created them. They just look at God. That's all they do. They look at God. And they have all these eyes. You know, I, I, I can't imagine what they look like. But they have all these eyes and it says, without and within. So how many eyes does it take to see God? Probably they need one more. I don't know how many they have. Are you getting my point here? God is more glorious than you have ever thought He is. You could not bear it. It's what He told Moses. You could not bear it to see the glory of God. And you worship a little bit? You obey Him a little bit? Beloved, uh, let's listen. Hey, I, I'm not... I'm not uh, indicting anyone here. I think I've done this myself. But I was reading a theologian a couple of weeks ago. He said, you know, if you get a glimpse of God, you won't be praying for a good parking spot. I don't know. There's something about that comment that I think encapsulates something that we might want to consider. So Jesus is saying to His guys, to you and to me, You're going to need help to understand the infinite glory and goodness of God. I understand now John 14, 16 a bit better. Uh, You remember Jesus told His men that the Father would give them a Helper and that this Helper would be with them forever. And I was thinking, why do I need the Helper forever? Because the disclosure of God will last how long? A week? Maybe longer. Maybe it'll take longer, right? To get some sense of the infinite glory of God. Would it be a week? No, maybe a year. Maybe a decade. Maybe a century. Maybe forever. And you could not bear it lest I give you the Spirit forever. Beloved, what I'm trying to do is get God up in your mind and get God up in your heart. Some of us have pedestrian thoughts about God You know, he said through the psalmist, you thought I was altogether like you. He is not like us. He is completely other. He is completely separate. He is the unbegun. He is the uncreated. He's the only one in the cosmos like that. And some of us have way too low a view of God. Jonathan Edwards, again, there will never be a time when there is no more of God's glory for the redeemed to discover and enjoy. Listen, that, keep, that, that sentence right there would keep me going through, just I think, just about anything in this life. I get God. God's infinitely beautiful. God's infinitely compelling. He's infinitely interesting. And He's mine in the sense that He's my Father. This is big. And you know what Paul told Timothy? He's the infinitely happy God. He's the happy God. He's the blessed God is how the text normally reads. But all you've got to do is look behind the Greek. It means happy. He's an infinitely happy God. And that's one thing that awaits 
as part of our inheritance is the joy of our Maker's happiness. So why is it good news to you that your sins are forgiven? I like how C.S. Lewis touches on this. He says, Mysteriously, we will be united with the beauty of God. We will pass into it. We will be immersed in it. We will receive it into ourselves. We will become part of it. If that doesn't get you jazzed a little bit, you're not hearing it or you're not understanding it or you don't care. You never get to the end of God. Those of you who've been in love, truly in love, Deeply in love. Okay, I can talk about this because, yes, uh, I'm in love. <laughs> Deeply in love. Um, for a long time. I'm an old man, so I can talk about this. I'm not going to say how old I am, though, do maybe. Okay? But I am an old guy. But you know how love matures, right? In, in a good marriage, it matures. The, the passion the passion is not what the passion was, but there's, a, there's a, a deepness and an intimacy there that continues to grow. But with God, there's always passion. The passion never wanes with God. Ever! It never wanes with God. It's th- I think it's something that Lewis and Edwards are trying to help us understand. And John 16.12 is saying to us, we cannot bear it all. We cannot bear it all without the help of the Holy Spirit. It is the eternal gasp. So, see if you're indicted here as well. We tend to, we're so prone to spend our days in complete self-absorption. Complete, utter, total self-absorption. If you're not consciously turning and looking at God, if you're not consciously in the Word of God, crying out to God, reveal yourself to me, God, you will be tirelessly and ceaselessly and inevitably looking at yourself. And you know who are the saddest, most pathetic people on the planet? It's people who only look at themselves. I told you a couple of weeks ago, you're not that interesting. Now, if you can hold your own attention over, say, 15 years, you know, of course, you're still pretty young at 15. You still think, hey, I've got a lot going on here. I'm pretty cool. Hey, you're going to get to the end of yourself really fast. We're We're not that interesting. You were designed to delight in God. And I hope that's why you're here. I hope that's why you profess to be a Christian. Not just so I can not go to hell. This is egregiously wrong to think like this. It's that I might truly know and learn how to delight in God. Jesus says, I have unbelievable, fantastic, astonishing things to say to you, but you can't hear them yet. I love that verse. And let's pick up here these next three verses. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. Okay. All right. 
<laughs> the Holy Spirit's going to guide you into all truth. That's pretty important. That's, that's an advantage. For He will not speak of His own in- initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will disclose to you what is to come. Okay, all truth, all essential truth, right? He's going to disclose what is to come, all that we essentially need to know. Verse 14, He shall glorify Me, for He shall take of Mine and shall disclose it to you. God's glory is coming to us. God is, God is going to disclose some measure of His glory to us. And Lewis is right. We're going to, we're going to be immersed in it. We don't, we don't uh, touch God's glory, but we experience it. Because He gives it as far as a pleasure of being in relationship to Him. Verse 15, "...in all things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that He takes of mine and will disclose it to you. All things the Father and I have are yours!" And you think Christianity's small? And you think it's just, just some small little part of your life? You've not understood... You've not understood what Christianity really is. I know there's a lot of false pseudo-versions of Christianity in the world. And most of them are brain dead, heart dead, and they'll bore you to tears. But biblical Christianity, it will rock your world and it will rock your eternity if you're understanding it. If you're understanding what God is saying here. I love these. I mean, this this is huge theology. (laughs) This is big theology in these three or four Verses, so the biblical word, the Greek word translated disclosed in my Bible, the New American Standard, which is the most literal. I looked at all the other English translations. There are seven different verbs, English verbs used to uh, translate this Greek verb. Its Its meaning is that God will reveal, announce, declare, show, deliver, tell, and make known these things. To you. Has anybody answered Piper's question yet? Why is it good news for you that your sins are forgiven? If you, if you get the answer, I want you to tell me. Second Corinthians 4 8. For God, who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, so we get this. We're getting this imagery here, the, the creative power of God. It's what God is doing in the born-again soul, right? 2 Corinthians 4.8, For God who said, Light shall uh, shine out of darkness is the One who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You're supposed to be getting some sense about God and the glory of God and the beauty of God and the compelling nature of God and the goodness of God. You, in, in one sense, we really should be like a schoolgirl in love. I know that's a little demeaning for some of you. But how about, how about, a, high, how about a high school boy in love? How about that? I can relate to that. I mean, really in love. Really. You know, I mean, really. So this is what's going on in the born-again believer's heart. God is creating light. 
He's disclosing His glory. He's disclosing Himself. It's what He's doing. So, I just want to make sure, am I communicating? Am I getting my point across? Are you hearing me? Are you hearing the answer to Piper's question? Why is it good news to you that your sins are forgiven? The beauty, glory, splendor, wonder, grandeur, magnificence of Jesus are, as C.S. Lewis says, incommunicable. It's what Jesus is saying here. You've you got to have the Spirit's help or your head will blow up. Your heart will blow up. That's how awesome He is. Yes, I know, we embrace the temporal life. But what does Paul say about death? We embrace the temporal life. And for most of us, in, in the providence of God, it's a good life. It's uh, an enjoyable life. But what does Paul say about death? What is it? It's gain! Listen, this is what part of what Piper's talking about. If you don't see death as gain, you've not understood. <laughs> you've not understood who God is. You've not understood who God is. You've got you wrong and you've got God wrong. If you've not understood that death is gain, death is not just gain, death is gain forever! Forever it's gain. I get God. I'm in on the sacred romance. I'm in on the everlasting adventure. In our glorified state, we can delight in God at full speed, is what theologians said. Forever captivated as we penetrate the divine perfections of Jesus. I always love what Piper says about worship in heaven. You'll have the stamina to do it right. You can't even, you can't even begin to do it right here, right? You, you, you don't have the stamina. You don't have the attention span. You don't have the bandwidth to do it right. But we will in heaven. So how do we begin... This should be an easy question for you. How do we begin to penetrate the divine perfections of Jesus right now today? How do we do it? How do we do it? What is the Holy Spirit? One of the things the Holy Spirit's talking about. I think it's, uh, well, I don't think. It's this. It's the gift. It's, it's, it's God's, you know, it's one of God's best gifts. Uh, it, it's, his, it's His revelation of Himself. It's not His explanation. It's His revelation. You know, people, they come to me, I'm a religious professional. They want me to answer every conceivable question in the cosmos, right? So I learned how to handle this. The Bible's not God's explanation. He doesn't explain that. It's His revelation, and you need Him bad. You know, sin, righteousness, and judgment. What the Holy Spirit's convicting the world of. You need Him bad. So listen, don't, don't try to explain everything about everything, because you can't. God doesn't reveal everything about everything, but He does reveal the essential truths that we might communicate them. So how do we begin to penetrate the divine perfections of Jesus? It is the Word of God. It is the Word of God. It's one thing He's talking about. He says, I'm going to, the Holy Spirit is going to give you the truth, the revelation, all that you need. Disclosure's coming. Disclosure's coming. And some of you will write it down and it'll be preserved for My people until the day. I return. It's why we preach the Bible at ICM. I tell you when you come in. If you like the Bible, you'll like us. If you don't like the Bible, you won't like us. 
It's all we do. It's all we care about. It's all that's important to us. We don't study the Bible because we ought to or because we should or because we're religious. We study the Bible because we get God. It's Isaiah 40, verse 9. Behold your God. My mentor a long time ago, I've shared this with you before, but he asked me, he said, Jim, what would you give for a true word from God? And he wouldn't let me answer him. You know, I ever, you know the right answer. You're, you're a Christian or you, you're a church member. You're a church goer. You know what you should say there. But he made me think about it. You know, he said, come back to me. And, uh, I'll give you 24 hours. He said, don't answer me until you come back. And the more I thought about it, what would you give for a true word from God? What would you give for the truth, ultimate truth, consummate truth? What would you give? If you're thinking, everything, all things, I give anything to have the truth of God. God has given us this gift. The 66 books of the Bible. And Jesus is talking to these 11 guys yet to come, the 27 books of the New Testament that will come through some of these men and of course, others. God has revealed Himself and disclosed Himself in the book, so I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. What does that mean to you? And how does the Bible fit into your daily schedule? Is it a priority? Or is it, you know, an obligation? It's a religious obligation. i got to do the Bible thing. You don't know what's waiting for you if you think, i got to do the Bible thing. Are you personally pursuing Him in the Word? Are you expending energy, energy to know and understand the Word? Are you putting yourself in God's way? Are you positioning yourself to get a genuine glimpse of the glory of Christ? Are you a student? Are you a disciple? I just want to say this. If you're not, you lose. Nobody else loses. You lose. If, if God's Word is not your meat, it's not your bread, it's not your drink, you lose over the years, obviously. As a pastor, I've heard 101 excuses of why people don't get into the Word of God, why they don't seem to care about it. And I, I just want to be candid here. If you don't care about God's Word, you are saying to God, I don't care about you. Say, so, Jim, that's pretty blunt. I know it's blunt, but... If the one you say you love wrote you a letter and it came in the mail, how long would it sit how long would it lay on the on the on the desk? I mean it would never hit the desk, right? You'd be all over it. Like white on rice, man, you'd be on it, right? You'd be all over it. This is from my lover. You're saying, I don't really care what you're saying about how you've revealed yourself. My career is more important. My business is more important. My studies are more important. My social life is more important. My pursuit of travel, leisure, and entertainment are more important. My family, spouse, and children are more important. Beloved, don't be guilty of saying that in a backhanded way to God. 
You know what? I've come under conviction. I, recently, I think God cares about the little things. I'm not, saying, I'm not saying that the Word of God is a little thing. That's not my point. My point is, God is watching you. God, and it matters to God how you live. If, you, if you're His. If you claim to be His. It matters to God. It's an oxymoron for a true Christian to have no appetite for the Word of God. It is absolutely an oxymoron. It may be the ultimate oxymoron. It contradicts the implicit bond of love that is to be in the relationship. I'll just say this. How we feel about God's Word is a mirror image and reflection of what we feel for God. It's absolutely true in every human life. If we're not God-absorbed, we will be self-absorbed. So I exhort you as your pastor to be in hot pursuit of God. He's the best. He's the best. What will it profit a man to gain the whole world? Let's just throw in the cosmos. What will it profit a man to gain the whole cosmos? And not have God. What gain is that? There is no gain there. There's just loss. It's just eternal loss. You've got to learn you know, to, to interpret the world like this. God is offering you everything. That means Himself. And you're more interested in the world? I'm just saying if that's true, you've not understood what God is offering in and through His Word. So, let me close by answering John Piper's question directly. Why is it good news to you that your sins are forgiven. Anybody want to take a shot? Anybody want to take a shot at it? So I won't go to hell. <clears throat> That's wrong. So I can go to heaven. No! Heaven's too small! What do I mean? Anybody, anybody want to take a shot at it? I'm going to read to you from... from uh, Piper's book here. Just a paragraph and then we'll be done. The, the heading of this paragraph is, Would you be happy in heaven if God weren't there? You could have all the pleasures and all the delights and, and all the, the food and you, know, the, you could have everything. But God's not there. Anyway, he says, My point in this book is that all the saving events and all the saving blessings of the Gospel are a means of getting obstacles out of the way so that we might know and enjoy God most fully. Now, I really want you to hear this paragraph. This is, the, I think, one of the most important paragraphs I've ever read outside the Bible. Okay? Propitiation, you know, the removal of, of the consequence of sin. Propitiation, redemption, forgiveness, imputation, sanctification, and heaven. None of these is good news except for one reason. Why are these good news? They bring us to God. 
for our everlasting enjoyment in Him. That's why it's good news to you that your sins are forgiven. You get God. You, it's not about heaven. Heaven's too small. The new heaven and new earth are too small. That's too small for you. God put eternity in your heart. You must have God, and God is giving Himself. God is offering Himself to you. And I'm going to finish this paragraph. And I want you to listen. If we believe all these things have happened to us, all these, you know, gospel things, propitiation, redemption, forgiveness, imputations, sanctification, and, and uh, the, the hope of heaven, if we believe all these things have happened to us, but do not embrace them for the sake of getting God, then they have not happened to us. Do you understand what I'm saying? If, if Christianity is merely an insurance policy for you. Piper's saying you don't know anything about it. He goes on. Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who would be happy in heaven with if Christ were not there will not be there. If Christ is not your focus of eternity, you're out of focus. You're looking at the wrong thing. You're probably interpreting heaven in relation to you. You're probably interpreting the new heaven and new earth in relation to you. How many times do I have to love you enough to tell you it's not about you? How many times do I have to love you enough to tell you it's never been about you? How many times do I have to love you enough to tell you it's never going to be about you? Ever. You know, you've you got you to get comfortable with that. You've got to embrace that. You've got to love that. <laughs> Again, you're not very interesting. Uh, I know some of you well. Um, last sentence. The Gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It is a way to get people to God. God is the Gospel. God is the Gospel. It's the title of the book. It is a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted. You say, Jim, that's pretty strong. I know it's strong. It's true. If you're converted, you have the Holy Spirit. And all the disclosure we've been talking about tonight is yours. And yes, some of you may have grown a little dull. And you're not embracing it and loving it and delighting in it as you ought. But the Holy Spirit is exhorting us tonight that we would do exactly that, that we might be filled up to all the fullness of God forever. Think about it, beloved. You, as His son or daughter, you, He's saying, you will be filled up to all the fullness of God forever. And you're interested in the world? You're, okay, it's insane. We talked about it. Sin's insanity. It's insanity. It's insanity. It's why I read Psalm 16.11 to begin the service. David says, You will make known to me the path of life in Your presence is fullness of joy. In Your right hand there are pleasures forever. I'll close with Isaiah 40, verse 9. Behold the breathtaking glory of Your disclosed God forever. Man, if you, if you don't have this like, like 
like eager anticipation for what Paul's talking about, death is gain. If you don't have some anticipation about it, you're, you're, you know, you haven't gone very deep. You haven't gone very deep in the Word. God is disclosing Himself to His people. 